0: You are listening to Ideas and Leaders Podcast. I'm Elena Paventa, Executive Communication Coach and TEDx Organizer. With each episode, I'll share with you communication tips and ideas from top business leaders to help you excel in your career. So today... My guest is Liz Kislik. We have a special guest today. She's a management consultant and she is executive coach and also a contributor to Forbes, to Harvard Business Review, and she is also a TEDx speaker. Hi, Liz. It is such a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. I'm very happy to be
1: with you, Elena.
0: So, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you get to where you are right now? How did you get to become a management
1: consultant and a TEDx speaker? Sure. I don't know that my journey is as useful, perhaps, as the kinds of things that I hope we'll get to talk about, given the topics that I know are of interest to you. But I guess people like to have a little bit of background. So... I was very, very lucky. I had many opportunities as a young person. I went after college to the marketing agency that I had worked for summers in college because they already knew me, I already knew them, and they were willing to pay me more than other companies I interviewed with. And it was the kind of experience that you couldn't pay for, I was so lucky because whenever there was something new that needed to be done, I would work on it. And then six months later, they would promote me into the job that was officially responsible for it. So I had all kinds of experiences, probably much too young. When I was 23, I was a vice president and managing a 300-employee call center. Wow. Wow. And that was the worst job I ever had, ever. (laughs) Why? Because you couldn't make everything right. Something was always wrong. There was an unhappy person. A client needed something new with no time. Something was going wrong somewhere. And I don't like that. (laughs) I wasn't happy. I would go home very stressed and uncomfortable. And I stayed there for several more years and eventually became executive vice president. And then the owner died, and there wasn't a good succession plan, and it, it was no longer the right place for me. So I left there. And within two weeks, people that I knew in the industry were subcontracting consulting work to me because I had been active in the trade association and I knew a lot of people. So from there, I had my own practice, which I've had now for, it'll be 33 years in December, and I'm lucky and grateful and have worked very hard, of course. But I think what is of interest to me is how there are great commonalities in the kinds of things that go wrong in organizations, but there are also significant differences based on who the people are what the cultural norms are, and what the business is trying to accomplish. And so it's extremely important to look at every business in its own right and really deal with the people who are there as themselves and not try to come up with cookie cutter or off-the-shelf solutions.
0: Yes, absolutely. 33 years. Wow. This is a great, great career. And I'm so happy that I will get to ask you a couple of questions. (laughs) So Liz, I know that you are a TEDx speaker and uh, you are quite a successful TEDx speaker. I am organizing TEDx conferences myself. I am TEDx organizer. And uh, I know that it is so hard to get a lot of views on your talk, but you, your talk achieved over 200 000 views so there must be something in this and uh, your talk was on conflict why there is so much conflict at work and how to deal with this how to overcome it so what is your advice so maybe you can uh, just uh, tell us a few main points from your talk so that our listeners can go later on youtube and uh, watch it <laughs> the full talk So what would
1: you recommend how to avoid this conflict at work? So I don't really think, Elena, that we can avoid conflict at work in the same way that there is conflict at home. And in fact, I don't know about you, but I argue with myself. You know, we have differences of opinion with ourselves. We want two different things at the same time, and we have to negotiate and figure out how we're going to manage ourselves. So I don't think you can avoid conflict. I mean, you can try. And we all know bad leaders who do. They pretend everything's okay. They want it to look good on the surface, but that's not real. And in fact, differences of opinion are sometimes how we express ourselves and encourage creativity and growth. Uh, The fact that different people have different views, different needs. First of all, it makes life interesting. And second of all, we learn from that. So in an odd way, I'm kind of fond of conflict so long as it does not get to anger and hatred. The thing is to be able to air and express different views, make decisions about what needs to happen and still feel comfortable to work together. And that's really the goal, to feel comfortable and that we work things out together and it is possible to go forward together even if we don't want exactly the same things. So from the talk, some of the points that are, I think, very important and that everybody can benefit from are that we get upset at other people in conflict. And we tend to blame other people for the conflict. And in fact, it is the other people that are annoying us. That's true. You know, we get annoyed at how somebody talks, or we get annoyed at their behavior, or we don't like their style. All those things are true and they happen. But the reality of conflict is underneath those interactions. It is not just the way your colleague speaks to you that you don't like. You do have to address that. But it's also worth looking at the kinds of issues that lock a conflict into place. For example, one of the most common kinds of conflicts in a business is when salespeople and operations people have different goals. And so they get upset with each other because what each team needs really flies in the face of what feels good to the other team. You know, the salespeople want to customize every sale and satisfy every customer and the operations people want things to be as much the same as possible so they can be efficient and cost effective and the quality can always be high and they're assured about what they're doing. And those are both valuable and worthy goals. Yes, yeah, everyone is right here. Yes, <laughs> everyone is right. And that's so tough because then you have to give up some of your rightness so that other people can have some of theirs. And and it's really hard. We don't like to do that. So looking to see what are the norms and structures that cause us to have competing views, those are very important. For example, in the operation sales kind of conflict, there are often real differences in compensation. And so When people's pay is set up in ways that cause them to work against each other, if you want them to work with each other, you have to review how you're paying them and make sure the way you pay them encourages them to collaborate and not just to fight. So those are some of the kinds of things that are important. Of course, everybody has to behave with respect. And there may be the need to review communication processes, to look at What has the history been for both the teams and the individuals? Very often, it's helpful to have a facilitator who can be an outside person like me or someone inside the organization who is skillful at drawing out other people's opinions and restating them so they don't sound so negative. Sometimes just the way things sound can make a big difference.
0: Yes. Yes. Definitely. I I remember from uh, Dale Carnegie training as I'm I was uh, certified as Dale Carnegie trainer several years ago, and there is this concept of uh, disagreeing agreeably, so that even if we have completely different opinions, then we are able to talk to each other with respect. Yes, agree with each other. So yes, I understand that sales are very important to you. At the same time, for me, so it is. uh, you don't have to avoid the conflict, but still
1: you can be a little bit more positive in how you talk, yeah? It helps a lot, you know, if you think that the problem, how do we satisfy customers? How do we create cost efficiency? The problem is what we want to solve. It's not that the people are the problem. Then, in addition to working on the real issue, you can still actually be fond of each other as colleagues, have a good time when you go for coffee. You know, you can put the problem aside and still want to work together because you have goals and values in common on behalf of the business so that the operations people can develop some concern about customers, too. And the salespeople can develop some concern that, in fact, the machinery in manufacturing is really the right kind and that the production staff has the funding to get the best kind because that takes care of their customers. There's usually so much mutuality of interest in a business that if we can look at that more and the things that we think negatively about each other look at those less that's helpful.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm inviting our listeners to (laughs) listen, to go to YouTube and (laughs) listen to the talk and watch the talk by Liz, uh, why there is so much conflict at work and how to fix it. So I'm sure that you will get much more information out of it. So Liz, now we are going through tough times for leaders, In the last several months, we are now in the end of 2020, and uh, this year was tough for all of us because of uh, many different reasons. And I think that it was even uh, more challenging and tough for for business leaders, for people who are responsible for their teams, for people who have to make tough decisions, for people who are, we are looking at them and we're expecting something from Them, but they don't know what to do themselves. So, what would you recommend in those tough times for leaders to keep their teams engaged? Because still, there are a lot of obstacles, but they need to deliver results
1: and they need to keep their teams engaged. So, what would you recommend in this situation? Good. It has been so tough for everybody, Elena. And I think for leaders, as you say, others look to them not only for the direction of what to do, but also to know, are we okay? Are we safe? How frightened should we be? So leaders have to be centered and grounded and also functional. That's very challenging because it means there's a certain amount of feeling all right and looking all right even as leaders themselves may be dealing with everything from disruption in their home, if someone is ill or if their children are home when they don't expect them to be or they're living with people that they hadn't planned on living with. So everything can be disrupted there to entire marketplaces are in disruption right now. So it is it is so tough. Many businesses here in the States have laid off great numbers of people, so they're trying to get the work done with fewer people. It's really challenging. In general, it is very helpful to step back from whatever harsh realities there are, not to lose sight of them, but to step back so that you can pause and take a kind of accounting of what's really going on and reset priorities. There are a few ways that can be helpful when you have to deal with this sort of thing. The first thing, and this is going to sound a little crazy, is actually for the leader or anybody, you remind yourself that in this moment, you are actually safe because you need a calm brain to deal with these challenges. And if you yourself are agitated, you're much more likely to make a decision That quiets your agitation, but may not look at all the factors that actually are there. So there's a technique for determining that you, in fact, are safe. And it is to actually, I'm going to do it now. You look behind yourself and make sure there's nothing chasing you. Sounds silly, but it is actually helpful to your brain. So to actually look over your shoulder and make sure that, in fact, you're safe. And to say, oh, yes, I'm safe, nothing's chasing me, there's no blood, there's no fire, (sighs) I have the time and the space to actually think for a moment before I make this decision, talk to my team member, go see my boss, any of those things. Settling yourself, and there are a million techniques for how you can settle yourself so that you can then think fully, calmly, is unbelievably useful all right now let's talk about some of the thinking one of the things that i suggest to my clients and they find it very helpful is to look out farther into the future than you would normally look in your day-to-day decision making three years out seems to be a good amount of time will this thing matter what do we really want to have accomplished in three years And if that's what we care about, then what would that mean for two years out, for a year out, for six months out, three months out, a month, and you bring it all the way back. So then what do we have to do today? By taking this longer view, you can think about, all right, if I make this decision, I'm just going to use the sales and operations issue we raised before because it's such a normal one to go back to. If I make this decision now what will it mean to our customers, not just this month, but a year from now? So you can question yourself, is this the right decision for the long-term? Because if it's not good for the long-term, the great likelihood is it doesn't make sense to do it now. It's different, of course, if there's an emergency. You have to do what the emergency demands. But even in today's hard times, Most of what we are deciding each day is not a physical emergency. Most of it will have implications at least 18 months out, whatever we do today. So it makes sense to look all the way out there. That's very important. And to think then in terms of our people and how and where they will be 18 months from now. And so does this structural decision make sense for them? What do we need from them? What's the direction we need to give them? Because if there has ever been a time to be clear and thoughtful, when people are virtual, you don't know what's going on in their environment and you don't see them with the regularity you might have in the office. You can't just stop by their desk, see them in the break room. You actually have to schedule these appointments and they're so exhausting. You don't want to have to give them 12 directions in a day. Very common in many workplaces, I'm sure you've known bosses who do this, just holler out their door. They yell a new instruction or a new question. Well, we can't do that today. So you really have to be thoughtful about what are the instructions I intend to give. Will they be clear? And will they not only be clear to Joe, But will they be clear also to Joe's peers? Will they create conflict for Joe's peers? Do I have to think about also giving Sarah a new direction when I give Joe his direction so that they don't then have a problem with each other behind the scenes where I don't know what's going on? So the need to be thoughtful and to carve time out of your schedule for thinking about the natural consequences of your decisions and directions, very important. Yeah. Yeah. So first
0: we need to think about ourselves to have a clear, calm mind. And uh, then we need to think ahead and uh, strategically think what uh, will happen in three years, in two years, in one year, and will it matter what we are dealing with now in a year or two? I love this approach. I love this approach. And uh, what do you recommend for working with the teams virtually in terms of building relationships? As it is a very important part of being a team leader, having one on ones, having conversations, and even having informal conversations with having coffee or something. Now we don't have it. Uh, What is your recommendation to? still maintain those relationships, not only talk business, but also have keep those relationships strong with the team. Excellent.
1: Okay, there are a lot of parts. And the first one I'm going to say is not about people at all. You know, I like structure. It's about the use of your calendar. No more 60 minute or 30 minute meetings. 50 minutes, 25 minutes. What's happening now? Executives rush from one thing to another. They click out and they click back in and nobody has time. There's no time to visit the washroom. There's no time for a snack. There's no time for thinking. It's very unhealthy. If you do one thing and you give people time in between meetings, even if you say, Say it's the same people. Just everybody shut off your, mute your audio, shut off your camera, rest. It's so humanizing. So that's a first idea. Second thing, not video all the time. Sometimes use the telephone. There is nothing like really hearing and listening to someone else's voice, not looking at all the boxes on the screen, and we're looking at our papers, and now you know I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at my papers, and then I'm looking at the person who's talking, and our eyes are all over, our minds are all over. On the phone, I'm sure you've had the experience, you say hello, you hear a voice you know, you know right away if they're feeling up or they're feeling down. As a leader, it is so helpful to get a sense of the emotional timbre that you can only get from the voice. Because looking at somebody on screen, oh, they can you know, be sitting up tall and everything is fine and, and you think they're okay, but you hear their voice, you know there's something wrong in a way that with the video just out of sync, it's very hard to do. So the phone can be a really humane way to do your one-on-ones. In group meetings, video is helpful. It's true. We've got the chat. We got you have all the tools. It's very useful. Be conscious, though, when people are at home, their living situations may not be as controlled as the work situations are. And we have absolutely violated people's privacy norms. Suddenly, the conference room is in people's bedrooms. It's really quite horrifying when you think about it. So, making it all right to have people turn off their cameras from time to time not that everybody should have their camera off all at once and at all meetings but if someone needs that because they are simultaneously tending to someone in their home or there are issues going on behind them give them that courtesy because it will actually relax them and then they're more able to be present with you even if something's happening In their environment. So so that's a kind of audiovisual thing. Yeah. It can be nice to to actually say, let's just have a coffee hour and you don't have to talk. You know, it's become very popular to have Zoom happy hours and, and et cetera. Something that's strangely nice is to know that at whatever time we would have gone to the break room together or would have gone out for coffee, We turn on our screens and we have our coffee and we may chat or we might not. It might just be, again, a little respite in the day. That also can be very helpful to members of the same team if they're working on a project, not to have a meeting, but to have the equivalent of a study hall where they're there on camera, often with the audio off. So you know your colleagues are working. And you feel kind of happy to be close to them. And then periodically you check in anything we want to discuss. It's a way to feel a little closer. Yeah, those are great tips. Especially I love this one with the
0: 25 and 55 minute meetings. It is so important now for because uh, some people, they literally have meetings from morning till evening and they cannot even write a message or answer a phone call because they have meetings all the time. So it is really great point. And also having more phone conversations, hearing the voice. I really, really love it. So uh, yeah, thank you for those tips. And uh, what about the self-care for leaders. Yes, we need to create the vision and to lead our teams to seem enthusiastic about our vision, but leaders are also getting tired with all those meetings from morning till evening. So what would you recommend? What self-care routine would you recommend for leaders to take care of themselves first so that they have more power to take care of their teams.
1: So what you just said, Elena, about leaders having meetings from morning to night, that means we're all working even more than we were working. Because if you're in meetings all day long, then when are you doing research and email and writing reports? You're doing them at night or in the early morning. It's too much. People are really suffering now. They're, they're frying, you know, You can they're crisp around the edges and you can just see them ready, little bits break off. So managing your calendar differently is really important. Sometimes you have to start from the other end. I'm going to say a bunch of things now. None of them will work for everyone. All of them will work for someone. Have a sleep goal. Know that this is your intention for how many hours of sleep Are healthy for you. The scientific recommendations these days seem to be seven and a half to eight and a half hours per night as the healthy amount. I have to admit I'm not there yet. I'm aiming for seven and I'm very happy when I get it consistently. But the thing is to keep trying to get more healthy sleep. All the health norms about exercise. Oh my goodness, it is so important. And it does not have to be in the gym, just moving your body and having a walk. If I know I've been still for too long, I will literally set a timer, work for 20 minutes, and then get up and dance or jog in place or just walk around anything just to move. Squats are very good. Moving your big muscles are very good. What's great about dance is if you sing or put on some music, that's good for your head as well. It changes mood, yeah, especially if you're dealing with some
0: complicated issue. If you make such a dance break or sports break, then immediately you come back with a fresh head, yeah? Exactly
1: right. Nature is like that too if you can take a walk outside even briefly anywhere that there's green if you have a window to look out of do your little dance routine by the window sunlight is a fabulous thing say you're in an inside room and you don't have access buy a plant have something green where you are all of these in very small amounts help some sense The smell of different fragrances, essential oils, can be very helpful to some people. For some people, having music in the background is very helpful. Okay, these are all surface kinds of things. Other things that are incredibly useful, meditation, and there are so many different styles that even if you don't like one right away, forget it. Try another one. There are many, many different kinds. It's very important also for leaders to have people that they can rely on as sounding boards and as a place to vent, express their own concerns, not their team members. You have to be authentic with your team members, but you don't want to be telling them all your worries. That's not a good idea, but you need a place to take that And sometimes it's not the people you live with because you're with them all the time. So having somebody as both a sounding board and a cushion, extremely important. And then look for moments of pleasure every day. You may find it in movement. You may find it in nature. But whether it is a hobby like cooking or painting or knitting something that you are creating and taking pleasure from. Sometimes it's the very act of doing it. Sometimes it's the enjoyment of the thing afterward. We all need some pleasure in these challenging times, but it's useful to think about it. So it's one that's valuable to you and not just, for example, what many people are doing now, which is a kind of mindless eating or mindless drinking. Those aren't good. Those are numbing. What you want are things where you look at it and you think, oh, how beautiful, or you taste it and you think, oh, that's so delicious. You want to savor the moment and feel that you would actually express something about it because it's so significant to you. Those are things that bring joy to the heart and some peace to the mind.
0: Those are amazing tips. Thank you so much. It is really important to actually plan. Time for taking care about ourselves, because this is the thing we think the the last about. Yeah, we think about our calls, our job. Then we have to go to sleep. We see that we have only a few hours left to sleep. This is in the long run. This is not a good strategy. Yeah. So this uh, spending time on self care is very important. So thank you for stressing
1: this. Let me just give you one caution though, Alana, because I listed so many things that somebody might hear it and think, well, I can't do all those things. They take too much time. That's ridiculous. Forget it all. This is also where looking out for a long-term future can be helpful because if you look out six months and you think, okay, six months from now when my calendar is clear, how could I add one physical thing, one visual thing one interpersonal thing, and you back it up. So you may not be able to do all of them now, but you may find that next week you could do one And within two weeks, you could do two and like that. The thing is not to overwhelm yourself, but to find the smallest possible thing and build up from there.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We need to, for example, some people are, they say, I don't like meditation. It's not for me. I cannot focus. But in fact... There are types of meditation, which are active, which is active meditation. And you actually have to think intensively about something. And uh, some types of meditation are very short. Yes, we don't have to sit for half an hour. It can be just a few minutes. And the same with exercises. Yeah, there is exercise like Tabata, for example, which is very short and intensive. And we don't have to have one hour run for example, or go to the gym. So uh, we can choose something uh, for ourselves. And I would say to do at least one thing for ourselves per day, this would be already great. (laughs) Just to write it in our calendar that, okay, I don't know, 7pm, I'm going for a walk. Or 7 a.m., I'm meditating for 10 minutes. And this would be great. Just one small thing per day, it would be amazing.
1: And it sounds trivial. You don't even have to start with 10 minutes. Start with one minute. The fact that you do one minute and you do one minute with regularity of anything is better than not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. And one day doing 10 minutes and thinking, oh, I don't have time for this do 1 minute and then if you do that for a week maybe you could turn it into 2 but it's important not to make yourself resistant if it's too hard we don't do it so find what's easy
0: yes absolutely absolutely so Liz thank you very much for your tips for your leadership advice i also wanted to ask you the last question because a lot of our listeners they are business leaders but they are also thought leaders and uh, they want to be known and be recognized as thought leaders in their field. And uh, you are for sure a thought leader, you're publishing uh, in uh, journals, you're a speaker. So what recommendations would you give to people who want to be thought leaders, who want to be more visible
1: in the market? First, you need content. You have to make sure that you are turning your thoughts into content in a form that other people will want it. So that could be written content. It could be videos. There are many different ways to do it, but start building that up and sharing it wherever you can. Again, the regularity of your practice will pay off. So for example, you can post, and you can post recordings and videos and written pieces on LinkedIn. That's an easy place. Medium is another one. Doing that, sharing them on social media, having other people start to respond to them, that starts giving you some credibility. And if you are regular with that, then over time, you can sort of ladder up and start submitting to other places. You can submit some of your material to uh, high-profile publications. You can get in touch with podcasters. And you can apply, as we were talking ab- before, to TEDxs. And all of these things, even when you get turned down, and I get turned down too, sometimes there's no real, it seems so arbitrary, you can't see why. You don't worry about it. You think, okay, not today and you submit to somebody else. You apply somewhere else. You look for other people you know who are successful and you ask them how they did it. I'll give you a tip that worked for me. When you submit pieces for publication to a high profile magazine or website, I never send just one. I always try to send at least two or three. Sometimes they want uh, titles and a short paragraph. Sometimes they want whole pieces. I don't even know if this is correct, but it is my belief that if someone has more material to choose from, and you already know they're good because, of course, you have already had somebody else edit for you, there's the likelihood that they will find something they like Maybe not to publish, but to say, I don't like these two ideas, but that idea is interesting. Please approach it from this other direction and find more research and studies to back up your point, and then I'll look at it again. That's all you need. You need the ability to have the relationship to discuss what could be in the piece. And from there, you can move ahead.
0: Yeah, I I really like this strategy of sending several publications, uh, several pieces to a journal. This is interesting. Then, yeah, they will like someone,
1: at least one of the probability that it will be accepted is much higher. It helps. Also, because you never know what it is that their editor-in-chief has told them to be looking for. You don't know which topics they're interested in. So when you're sending three pieces, don't make them all the same. You know, here's how you work with a shy member on your team. Here's how you work with an angry member on your team. Here's how you work with a sad member on your team. Then they know you're very good at working with all kinds of people. So try one that's about an individual and one that is about how you get your team to be more productive and one that is about how you do something for your customers. You know, show them that you have breath, and then they also will think, oh, well, this is an interesting person. Yeah, yeah, this is, I will use this tip okay.
0: for sure. <laughs> so I'm planning to submit in the nearest future to my publication to a journal as well. Yeah, I had, uh, I had mostly experience of publishing in uh, scientific journals. And I have a lot of scientific uh-huh. publications, but I only have few publications in such journals, business type journals. And this is for sure the area which I will be working on. So thank you for this advice. And I'm sure that it will be very useful for our listeners as well. Very good. So thank you very much, Liz, for the conversation today. A lot of amazing tips So how can our listeners contact you if they want to
1: ask more and to get in touch with you? Thank you, Elena. My website has everything. And so it's probably the easiest way. That's www.lizkislik.com, L-I-Z-K-I-S, as in Sam, L-I-K. And while they're there, there's actually a free ebook that some of your listeners may be interested in. It's about dealing with the interpersonal aspects of conflict at work. And I've been writing for many years. So there are numerous blogs and articles there that might be helpful. And my TEDx is also on my speaking page, as well as on YouTube directly. Uh, They can also find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And I'm Liz Kislik there as well great i will
0: put all those links to your profiles and to your ebook also under the our podcast episode in the notes so that our listeners can have access to this thank you very much lise for today it was a pleasure
1: to have a conversation with you i really enjoyed it thank you elena
0: thank you for listening to ideas and leaders podcast did you enjoy this episode let me know that you listen by tagging me in your LinkedIn profile and using a hashtag ideas and leaders. See you in the next episode.